Today's uh, scripture is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. <clears throat> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your sand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when you... Therefore, put on the whole armor, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Just want you to know, Colin, I, I appreciated your comments on the Lord's Supper this morning. And my wife was uh, nodding in agreement when you were talking about the value of food production. And I, I told her I value her food production in our house. My, uh, my great-grandfather uh, fought... In the, uh, in the Civil War. And uh, this is the sword that he used. Uh, I, uh, I actually have his, uh, his discharge papers uh, at home from the U.S. government. Uh, and one of these days I'm planning to frame it, uh, hopefully without damaging it too much. It's pretty brittle, as you can imagine. And I don't know if uh, this sword was used in battle or not. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he killed or wounded anyone. I haven't seen any blood stains on it. Of course, it has been a while since that uh, conflict took place. Uh, I, I don't know how much fighting he actually did in the war. I'm, I'm considering having this, this sword uh, restored, actually, if I can find someone who's willing to do it and it doesn't cost me a lifetime of savings. But in Old Testament times, as you know, um, I'll put this away just so I see somebody are getting a little nervous out there. In, in Old Testament times, the sword was one of the main weapons employed for conflict. And they didn't have guns uh, like we do today. They used spears and, and swords and sometimes uh, slingshots, in the case of David. Uh, they would even use rocks and stones to fight. And I'm sure they had knives and sharp instruments for cutting, otherwise they, they wouldn't have been able to slaughter animals for sacrifices. If you remember, uh, Jesus, uh, one of Jesus' disciples had a sword, and that disciple was Peter. 
And the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant by the name of Malchus. And when that happened, Jesus told Peter to put his sword away. And Jesus then miraculously restored the servant's ear. So I'm going to do that right now too. I'm going to put my sword away. As we studied a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And of course, that was, a meta- that was metaphorical, but his point was that there would be a lot of opposition to Jesus because of who he was and what he taught and who he was claiming to be. But you might be surprised to learn that Jesus thinks you need and I need a sword. In Luke 22, verse 35, during the Passover feast when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Jesus asked his disciples a question. And the question was, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And Jesus' question was referring to the time that he sent the 12 apostles out in Luke 9 to preach about the kingdom of God. And he told them not to take any supplies with them. No need to take a staff, no need to take a bag, bread, or money, and don't even take an extra tunic or jacket. It was part of the Jewish culture to welcome strangers and provide for their needs. And his, his point was, you won't need any provisions. As you go out and preach the gospel, you won't need any provisions because people will be happy to welcome you into their homes and to hear the good news of the kingdom, and they'll gladly provide for your needs. And this was during the early stages of Jesus' ministry. Because the, the, the common people of that day loved Jesus, and they were enthralled by his teaching, and especially his healings. And in Luke 20, verse 19, it reads, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him, Jesus, at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But, it says, they feared the people. In other words, the religious leaders knew that the people loved Jesus. And that if they arrested Jesus, the people would riot because, the, because of how much they loved him. So here in Luke 22, the apostles responded to Jesus' question about, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? And they answered, nothing. We didn't lack a thing. So it was just as Jesus said. The, The people welcomed his apostles into their homes. They were eager to hear about the kingdom of God and and gladly gave them a place to stay and supplied whatever they needed. Place to sleep, food to eat. But Jesus then said something very interesting. He said, but now. Let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. What was written about Jesus was his crucifixion. 
He was crucified between two criminals. He was numbered among the transgressors, among the criminals. And we're very familiar with Isaiah's prophecy about his death in chapter 53. So Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, you need to sell your cloak and you need to get one. I don't need to buy a sword because, as I've shown you, I already, I already have one. Uh, I didn't even have to sell my cloak uh, to get it. But, you know, it's just, it's an interesting statement. Jesus made a lot of interesting statements, and this is one of them. Keeping in mind that Jesus, that this, that he said this on the eve of the crucifixion. A couple of years earlier, he said, people welcome you. They'll, they'll take care of your needs. You don't really need to take a lot of provisions. But his hour had come. And he told them that now you're going to need to take some supplies this time. Because in a short time, he, Jesus, was going to be treated as a criminal. And anyone associated with him would also be treated as criminals. And people are no longer going to necessarily welcome you into their homes. You know, if you remember, Peter got a taste of that the night Jesus was arrested. You know, three times Peter denied Jesus because someone had recognized that he had been associated with that criminal, that Jesus. And Jesus' point was that life was going to radically change for these apostles. People aren't going to be quite so welcoming to them anymore. In fact, there will be people who will want to arrest them and put them in prison or even put them to death, a.k.a. Saul. And they needed to prepare for it. When Jesus encouraged them to buy a sword, he, he was not suggesting that they become militaristic, become a warrior. That, that, that would contradict everything for which Jesus stood. He was making a point that the time had come when you will not feel safe in this world without a weapon. There will be violence against you. And you will be in a battle for, for truth and for your life. And the apostles misunderstood. And they said in verse 38, look, look here, Lord, we have two swords. And Jesus responded by saying, that's enough. Now, you can, you can interpret that two ways. One that is that Jesus felt two swords were adequate. Or that he does not want the apostles thinking like that. And most commentators prefer the latter over uh, the former. In other words, you missed the point, guys. Never mind. And of course, when you begin reading the book of Acts, Jesus' words are validated as a great persecution arose against the followers of Jesus. You know, I, I personally have never really been threatened because of my faith in Jesus. Maybe some of you have. I, I don't know. But compared to the first century in this country, you know, we, we live a pretty cushy Christian existence. Our greatest concerns aren't really related to our faith, are they? Our greatest concerns are being able to pay our bills, our health, the health of our loved ones, our jobs, and maybe the weather at times. For some Christians, the most difficult part of your faith is the struggle just to be faithful. We don't go around and knock on doors anymore. We, we basically create ministries that meet people's physical needs and hope that people will show up on Sunday morning. 
Try to think when the last time was you, you talked to a non-believer about their faith or about Christ. Or invited a friend or, or a co-worker to join you in worship on Sunday morning or, or a class uh, or a small group. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm living a sheltered life and, and not seeing what's going on all around me. I mean, because I do kind of live in this Christian bubble. <laughs> um, but when I read the book of Acts and I see the passion that the early church had to spread the good news about Jesus in the face of such violent opposition, it makes me wonder a little bit, you know, if, if we have that same passion or, or are we too distracted by the American dream or, or, or have become too comfortable with the American way of life? You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world seems to be reacting more and more violently toward Jews and, and Christians who dare to tell the truth and, and expose sin. I mean, it always used to be in other parts of the world, but now we're beginning to see it over here. Christians are hated by many because we refuse to accept what we believe is sinful and against God's will in our culture, such as abortion, practice of homosexuality. We are the ones who are accused of hating people, even though it's really just the opposite. Because we know how sinful and harmful these perverse and destructive lifestyles are. For example, many states in our country now are, are legalizing marijuana. Not only supposedly for medicinal uses, but for recreational use also. And we know recreational use is harmful. But what about medicinal uses? I recently read an article by a, a doctor by the name of John C. Hagen III in a publication by a, a cardiologist group in Kansas City. Dr. Hagen is actually an ophthalmologist uh, in Missouri, and the article is titled, The Country is Going to Pot. It was an article in response to the legalization of medical marijuana that was recently passed into law in Missouri. And he pointed out that marijuana is not a medicine. There are over 400 bioactive chemicals in marijuana, and many of them are, are toxic. He wrote that there is no disease that has been shown to be helped, much less cured, by marijuana. He wrote that every state that has enacted medical marijuana has seen their emergency rooms filled with overdoses and other marijuana-related problems, such as uncontrolled vomiting, serious and even fatal overdoses. I mean, this recently happened to a, a, a patient of our daughter's. Um, our daughter's a nurse practitioner in Kansas City, and she had a patient uh, who wasn't satisfied with the amount of pain medication she was receiving, and so the patient would leave the hospital room, go outside, and smoke marijuana to try to dull the pain. The patient, uh, when she came back to the room, she would start vomiting. And so... The patient was upset at, at our daughter because she, you know, she was throwing up and she wanted some medication to prevent that. And my daughter said, it's the marijuana. You stop using the marijuana, you'll stop vomiting. I'm not giving you any medication to stop the vomiting. Other problems with marijuana include an increase of automobile accidents. 
Educational problems include selling and using at school and increased suspensions and expulsions. The doctor concluded that marijuana use in this article will cause or worsen many medical conditions. You know, we as Christians, we don't oppose these issues just just to be difficult. We oppose them because they're harmful. You know, and they hurt more people than they help as as evidenced in this article. A, A week and a half or so ago, there was a straight pride parade in in Boston in response to a gay pride parade. And I I don't think that's the right response. You know, I I think that does more to antagonize than to show love and concern. I, I don't think a straight pride parade is going to persuade anyone living that lifestyle to change. Jesus is warning his apostles here in Luke 22, to be prepared for the opposition that they were going to experience. Therefore, we need to be prepared as well. And how, how do you prepare? How do you prepare for that opposition? How, how do you prepare yourself to fight the good fight of faith? I, I don't think you should go out and buy a sword, and you can't borrow mine. But I do think you need to know how to use the sword of the spirit. Uh, on preachingtoday.com was this story about an elderly woman who had just returned to her home from a, a church service one night when she was startled to find an intruder in the act of robbing her home of its valuables. And she yelled, stop, Acts 238. And of course, that's the verse about, you know, repenting and, and being baptized and so forth. And the burglar stopped dead in his tracks. And, and when the officer arrived, he, he just took the thief into custody. She, you know, she just dialed on, on her cell phone, the police, as he stood there, you know, frozen. When the officer arrived, he took the thief into custody and asked him why he just stood there. He said, all the lady did was, was yell a scripture at you. Thief replied, scripture? She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind in regard to the proper use of the sword of the Spirit. Paul told the Ephesians how to prepare themselves, and he told them to put on the armor of God in Ephesians 6.10. You heard the reading of Terry a moment ago. Paul's point was, our battle is not against people per se. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in this world, and they are powerful. And the way to defend yourself against the spiritual forces of evil is with spiritual armor and weapons, along with the right attitude. And I'm going to read that, uh, those verses, a few of those verses again, beginning in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, and I'm going to use the New Century Version. That's why you need to put on God's full armor. Then on the day of evil, you'll be able to stand strong. And when you have finished the whole fight, you will still be standing. So stand strong with the belt of truth tied around your waist, the protection of right living on your chest, on your feet wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong. And also use the shield of faith with which you can stop all the burning arrows of the evil one. Accept God's salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers, asking for everything you need. To do this, you must always be 
ready and never give up. So according to Paul, the way to prepare ourselves is donning the protection that God provides. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faithfulness, being in a saved relationship with Jesus, following or knowing the word of God, following the word of God, being in constant communication with God through prayer. You are, this congregation, you, you are so faithful at praying for people's medical and personal problems. I mean, there's, there's a list every week. There's one in the bulletin today. It's in the bulletin every week. And it's in emails that go out through, through the week. But are you praying for God's will to be done in this church? In this community? In our country? In our world? Are you praying to resist temptation, to stand up for the truth, and for opportunities to share Jesus in your own life? Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In order to destroy arguments, you have to have the knowledge of God's word. You actually have to have the knowledge of God. And you say, well, well no, one, no one can have the knowledge of God. Well, yes, you can. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. Meaning, we have the ability to think like him. And we also have his word at our disposal. The assistance of God's word and the spirit of God will help you to be victorious in your spiritual battles. As we sang a few minutes ago, the battle really belongs to the Lord. But that doesn't mean you can stand on the sidelines and watch. That's not what that's saying. Remember what the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened and don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There's no place you can go that the Lord's not with you. When you have the Lord helping you fight your battles, you really can't lose. You know, it, it, it's not really your battle to win. It's his. So the Lord said you need a sword. In other words, you're going to need to engage the enemy in battle because Satan has declared war on you. And everyone in here has access to a sword of the Spirit. I'm guessing many of you have more than one sword. And I recommend you spend time sharpening your skills with that sword. There's a battle raging right now. And we need to play some offense and not just always be on the defense. Satan's goal is to disrupt your life. It's to cause you pain. It's to discourage you. It's to keep you away from the body. It's to keep you from sharing the gospel with others and to fight amongst ourselves instead. And he often succeeds at that. We cannot let that happen, or we will be defeated. Years ago in Lancaster, we, uh, when I was working there, we uh, had a v week-long VBS, and uh, it was on the, the theme of the sword of the Spirit. And um, 
So every night that the children would make one of the pieces of the armor and they would learn, you know, about what it was about, like righteousness and gospel and so forth. And by the end of the week, they had all of this armor made out of, you know, cardboard. And so the, on the last night, they wore their full suit of armor. And it was pretty cute. It was, it was pretty neat. Um, and I told them as, as they were getting ready to leave, as, as VBS was, was ending, I said, now remember, you're not supposed to ever take your armor off. You keep it on at all times. So later that night, I got a call from a mother whose child heard me say that. She said, well, you know, uh, it's time for Jared to go to bed and he, he won't take off his armor. He said that Todd said not to take it off ever. Uh, and so I had to talk to him. She put him on the phone. I said, Jared, it's okay. It's okay. You take it off for now. You can put it back on in the morning. You know. But, you know, that's a great illustration. A, a young child heard, don't take off your armor, and he was determined not to take off his armor. It's a great illustration for us. We've got to be, we've got to have on our armor at all times. And it's not, <laughs> it's not to protect yourself from each other. It's to protect yourself from the world. So never take your armor off. Stay involved. Stay in the word. Pray without ceasing. Fight the good fight of faith. And make sure you know who the enemies are. This morning, I, I don't know if, if Satan has gotten the foot in your door of your life and begun to wreak havoc in your life. If he has, please, this morning, come to God. I, I, maybe you've strayed from the herd and feel as though you're under attack. Come to God. If you're not a Christian, <laughs> you don't really have to worry too much about Satan because he's already got you. And he doesn't really want to let you go. But this morning you can defeat him by putting your faith in Jesus, turning from sin and dying with Christ in baptism. And so if we can help you do that this morning, that's why we're here. We just ask you, if you're away from God or if you need help, now's the time to respond. Let us know. We'll do everything we can to help you as we stand right now as we sing this song.